It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on our path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Lodestar URY, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenue streams, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales. All right, welcome everybody to the Revenue Revenue Maze, sponsored by Lodestar URI, guiding B2B companies to upward revenue trajectories through part-time leadership traversing the Revenue Maze. I'm your host, Valerie, and we are here today to talk to someone who has demystified and traversed the Revenue Maze in the SaaS space. Evolving from years of experience building B2B SaaS finance and admin ecosystems for multi-billion dollar companies such as Duo Security, Lomasoft, and 10, yes, count it, 10 plus startups, I am sitting at the feet of the master, our guest and founder owner of SaaS Gurus, Anthony Nitzo. Thank you so much, Valerie, for that warm introduction. But I, I think I, don't, I think if you talk to my household, the word master would not apply to just about anything. I don't think they let me cook very much. All right. Well, you're definitely a wow in such a fast-paced environment. And it, 10 plus startups, I don't know, it just boggles the mind because startups are so difficult, period. Yeah. And um, honestly, so before, we're going to get more into that. And before we get deeper, we have to address the show topic, which is what is one strategy people need, think about this, to utilize to escape the revenue maze and find that exponential growth that all of us want. We want to be that next whatever, you know. So what is that one thing? So in my experience, what I've seen companies struggle the most with is literally figuring out the, the decoding the DNA, if you will, of how to get to market, right? They've got a great product. They understand what its value proposition is, but they have this struggle because trying to get that word out to their target and getting it out to them in a way that their target can receive it and understand it and respond to it is by far the number one difficulty that I've seen all these tech startups do. Um, and it, it recurs over and over again. And I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that a lot of the tech startups really don't, from the beginning, think in terms of the go-to-market. A lot of tech startups, they have a great product. You know, an engineer developed something. Somebody comes along and says, hey, wow, that's a great idea. I'm sure people will buy it. But they don't really figure out how do I literally connect the dots between my people and the people who are going to pay me for it. And I've seen this over and over again. The success stories that I've been participating in, Duo Security being one of them, was they had that code, that DNA decoded. So they knew what their persona was. They knew what their ideal customer profile was. They knew which personas they wanted to go after. And most important, they knew what watering holes those personas went to and could go there and hunt for them. Their marketing wing was beyond belief. We had at some point 8,000 MQLs coming into the system for duo security salespeople to you know, screen through. That takes a machine and it takes somebody who knows how to build the machine and all those key parts. So that's, that's my take on it is like, if you do nothing else in the beginning, 
figure those particular things out. What is your persona? What's your, what's your avatar? You know, are you a caregiver? Are you a sage? What is your company's avatar? Use that to best effect to figure out who your target is, who are within your organization you need to target, what message they're going to receive, and more important, how are you going to deliver that message? Because if you do all of those other steps and you forget to, oh yeah, communicate it, then you're not going to go very far. <laughs> oh yeah, that little thing, communication. Um, wow. So I, I'm so curious about that because that is that is ideally one of the most difficult things because per, I guess what I've seen is perception. So how do you get it down to that science where it's communicated properly so that it just creates something in somebody's mind for that need, right? Yeah. If I knew exactly how to do all of that, I wouldn't be in the finance side of things. I'd be over <laughs> on the sales and marketing side of things. So I'm giving this to you from the perspective of the referee in the business who's sitting there seeing how y'all screwing it up because the ones that get it right, then us finance people, we're really happy because we take over at a different phase and there's things that we wanna do to make sure that the value of the company is appropriate to the sales that they're making. And that's also something that people don't think about. Just because you close a sale doesn't mean it's gonna translate into value for your company for investors to say, this company is worth this much. You've gotta pay attention to what your customers signed, what conditions you've given, given them, what are the terms behind that, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that on the finance side of things we wanna take care of and make sure are done properly. But I can tell you because I see this over and over again, that go-to-market strategy and figuring that out that's where most of the failures occur. Yeah. I I have I have definitely seen that and then to be able to huh. So if that's where most of the failures are at and we kind of have to think about that just a little bit because failures are rampant. Rampant. <laughs> Let's see, what, is, what do we say? Small, small businesses, what are there like 99% of them are in the United States and 82% of them fail within the first one or two years, you know? Yeah, it's something ridiculous like it, that. It's yeah. some ridiculous number. So if that is the number one cause, so I, I need to understand a little bit, if I were Anthony, how do I fix this? How do I how do I fix that? And I know you're on the finance side, but I have to say I had some good chief finance officers that tell a story with numbers that is almost akin to music and an orchestra, right? So <laughs> so it, it, tell me a little bit about how you how you have gone through trying to fix this cuz that's a big deal. It is a big deal and it has a huge financial impact, of course, because if you can't close deals, you can't get top line. So there's a cash flow impact. You're not invoicing customers, so you're not getting invoices to help operate your business. And now keep in mind, the world I work in is venture capital backed. So we receive, you know, fairly sizable checks from people who are taking a bet on the company's success. So in many cases, the cash from customers isn't by, by any means the be all and end all of whether the company is gonna succeed, but it does contribute. And you know, I'll, I'll use another case in point and hopefully folks don't um, think of me as like a noun, a verb in duo security, but there's a reason why that, that particular company exited at $2.35 billion to yeah. Cisco. <laughs> 
that, that, you know, that's a nice payday for all for everybody that was involved in it. And the reason was, is that they figured a lot of this stuff out. Yeah. And so, you know, when it gets down to it, there is a there are people out there that can help you, whoever you are figure yeah. out how to decode that revenue maze, right? Yeah, or yeah. what is that what you called at the top of the hour is the revenue maze. It really yeah. is a maze, but it doesn't have to be a maze. It's if you've got, you know, somebody put it to me as salespeople. And of course, as finance people, we listen to salespeople all the time because secretly a number of us are wannabe salespeople. Right? Oh, is that? <laughs> I was going to say, I was thinking that they were roadblocking everything. <laughs> no, because in the end, sales sales gets all the credit for the success. And the only time CFOs ever hear about anything is if something goes wrong. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the ones where as long as everything's quiet, nobody's paying attention to us, we're good. But then when something goes sideways, it's like, okay, fine. Let's blame finance. Um, how many publicly traded companies have you seen where something goes wrong and they fire the CFO? They don't fire the CEO. Okay. It's, 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 it's kind of endemic. So I think it takes a certain amount of insanity to want to do what I do, yeah. um, especially in the, in the startups. So, okay, so you've got your million dollars, your $5 million, whatever it is, you've got your money from your investors. Now, what do you do with it? A lot of times I've seen them dive into, okay, we, we've got to really develop the product. And I have to pause them and say, yeah, but that's great because, you know, you'll, you get all these things done. But how is that going to translate into sales? Is that going to translate into an upsell? Is that feature that you're adding going to allow you to go back to your existing customers and sell the upsell them, expand them? Yeah. Are you in a land and expand mode or are you in a takeover mode when it comes to sales? Yeah. Um, and this is the other thing is kind of a pet peeve of mine is that what I see a lot of these companies do is they go so hard and fast after the new sales uh -huh. and they forget ARR, that annualized recurring revenue is like a bathtub. And your faucet bringing the, the, the water into the bathtub, that's your new sales. But if you didn't plug the drain, then you're letting customers leave on the other end of it. They're not renewing. And that's that to me is another major sin that I see over and over again is that you don't think about how you're actually going to get to market. And then it's kind of like the dog chasing the car, right? What are you going to do when you actually catch it, right? Oh, yeah. once, once the dog actually catches it. And in this case here, your quality kind of let me take some steps back most of the companies the the SaaS companies are based on some multiple of their arr right the value of their company so what's called the pre-money number when a, an investor comes in and the post money number that depends on the value that everybody agrees on the table that this is what the company is worth in the very early stages that valuation is based almost entirely on the technology and its potential but as you get later and further invested, you know, in later investment stages and rounds, they're going to be looking more and more at your numbers, right? So this is where the finance people come into the room and start hemming and hawing. If you have contracts that have money back guarantees, if you have contracts that allow people to cancel after three months, if you have contracts that are not true SaaS, paid in advance, locked in, ironclad, yeah, then yeah. they're going to discount the value of your ARR stream and give you a lower valuation. Another way that they're gonna look at it is there's this really important metric, and this is one where I start people tracking from day one, it's called net dollar retention. And the reason why this is so important is this speaks to the quality of your revenue. This is that drain plug on the bathtub. 
if you are able to keep your customers in-house because you're loving them and you're nurturing them and you're giving them lots of support and you're contacting, and you're keeping them in the loop and you're, you know, you're really doing a good job on that support side of things. When it comes time for renewal, it's just a processing of an order. Okay. It's not, there's no discussion needed. So that's the true ideal situation. And this is what a number of my successful clients have done really well is they've really focused in on that customer journey once the customer is in-house to make sure that at renewal time they are renewing. And during that entire process as development is pushing out more and more features that that renewals team is focused on, oh, I know this customer and I know them, they're going to want that and here's an opportunity to upsell. So keeping the ones that you have and then upselling the ones that, that remain, that total amount is measurable and we call that net dollar retention. And your valuation companies, when they come in and a VC is looking at it, say they're looking at you in seed B or a round B or maybe a late A stage or an A extension, and they're really paying attention to those numbers, they're going to want to know, are, is the sales that you're bringing in, is that growth that's, that you're showing me of new sales, is it going to stick? And more importantly, is it going to grow? And so yeah. they're going to ask you for that ARR growth number, and they I will bet you they're going to ask you for that net dollar retention number, and it better be at 115% or higher. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Below yeah. that, they're going to start discounting your revenue, which means they're going to start giving you lower valuations, which means you're either going to give up more of your company for the investment, or you're going to get less investment. And neither oh. one of those is something that an owner really wants to deal with. No, no, they wouldn't. Um... Wow, that's incredible. So when I've thought about some of those things, because sometimes in, in, in my world, it's, hey, come on in because we are trying to maximize our, multi, you know, our multiplier, what we're valued at, mm -hmm. right? And some of the things that you're saying from the finance side of it just totally, totally makes sense. And then you have to marry the perception that you originally talked about with the go-to market. And it almost sounds like what you were creating. And I believe in your company that you're doing right now, you, you do this, but almost the whole business case, you know, from that product development standpoint, before you've even gone to market for your go-to market strategy, it's mm -hmm. kind of pressure testing. Where could it go from here? To in to five years and what's our goals along the way. But then you have to answer the question of public opinion or mm -hmm. perception. What, ch what challenges is actually solving uniquely or differently? Mm -hmm. And then back to your original main statement. Okay. What, um, how do you convey that that properly, I mean, if we could just have telepathy, then we could, you know, get that out there. And I think if you, if you're creating business cases, which you are, wouldn't that almost be the sales message that go, the go-to-market sales message? Cause you've already had to try to get investors and everything else. So you're already mm -hmm. pitching them on. And I, I, I'm just curious, how would you yeah, there's a tremendous amount of overlap between the two because the sales pitch that works for the customer, the end customer, is the same one that's going to resonate with your investors. Okay. So, and investors are really canny. They'll understand where that disconnect occurs. And it comes back to me, it comes back to this concept that I was introduced to a long time ago called the customer journey. And it starts with 
that I, like I said, that ideal company profile and the personas, and then how do you close them? What's the playbook to close them? Once you close them, how do you stand them up? What does the delivery profile look like? How do you produce it to make sure that it's smooth and going forward, they don't have any issues? And then on the back end, how do you renew them? And understanding all of those steps pretty well between points A from you know awareness, when they first become aware of you, to when they renew, once you get that figured out really well, and it, it's not like, okay, I get to sit back and just make this up, right? This is, you know, we got to realize this is sausage in the making. This is something when you try something first, you're working with your experts, your marketing experts, your sales experts. And it could also be that you got great marketing people and your salespeople, frankly, stink. Okay. And they couldn't, even, they couldn't, even close, they couldn't, they couldn't close a door, let alone a sale. Right. And so... There are so many factors that come into play, but if you don't have a really clear roadmap, then the team isn't going to possibly know how to go and where yeah. to go to. Yeah. So defining that customer journey all the way from initial awareness, how do you get their attention, to how do you renew them, and understanding the key steps and the key points that happen. And for each company, they're a little bit different, but there's a lot of commonality. And you can go out and Google search customer journey, and you're going to find all sorts of stuff out there. So it's not like this is hidden, okay? Yeah. But there's a method to doing this. And the companies that figure that out are the ones that turn off with unicorn exits. And when you said unicorn exits, it just brought to mind that you just described kind of you know, Alice in Wonderland and the Cheshire cats saying, you know, well, it doesn't matter where you want to go if you haven't decided what, you know, if you haven't worked through that process of where you want to go, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about your new company, SaaS Gurus. It sounds like you, you're kind of taking that and, and you said the commonalities and trying to help other companies understand exactly what you were describing through this. So tell us a little bit more about that. So what we focus on in SaaS Gurus in particular is what we call the finance and stakeholder ecosystem. And okay. we define that as all of the tech people and processes that you need in order to produce the right numbers, because you need those as a, as a SaaS business people, but also to look all the way up into the sales chain to make sure that what I was just talking about is actually happening. Because anybody in the world can spend all the money they want, but it takes the right ones to learn how to make it, right? And that's why you have such an attrition rate, especially with tech startups. Even if you get a million dollars in investment for your seed round, you know, if, if a year later you're sitting there with nothing to show for it, you're not gonna get another round. And part of what to show for that obviously is, first of all, as a CEO or a founder of a tech startup, you should have two things at top of your mind at all times, sales and cash management. Yep. And the next two things that you should have at top of mind is cash management and sales. Okay. And that's <laughs> it. And the last thing you want to be worried about is, I'm not going to say the word because it's a swear word, but wasting your time on chasing numbers that should be coming to your fingertips, right? So I had a case in point, I had a client who was spending, she told me 40% of her time, as this is a CEO and founder, right? 40% of her time doing nothing but trying to find the numbers that she could present to her board and her, and her investors. We came in and cleaned that up in three months so that now whenever she wants the numbers, they come to her, first of all. So yeah. she spent zero time on that. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. the most important part of that is the numbers are correct. Right? That is. <laughs> because 
anybody can put numbers out, right? And this yeah. is something that I've I've seen this over and over again. I walk into a company and say, yeah, we've got our chart of accounts, our you know our accounting system is all set up. And I go in there and I look at it and I see payroll in one line item. And I say, okay, so you're telling me that your salespeople, your engineers, your back office folks, your HR, you know, all your functions, that's all one cost. You, you don't worry about breaking that out. And it suddenly it starts to dawn on them that, yeah, if you want to do, say, for example, get an R&D tax credit, or you want to report your profit and loss statement with a gross margin on it, that's actually real because investors pay attention to that, yeah. then you can't do that. Yeah. Right? So a lot of times when I, I go in and I, we do this over and over again, that's why SaaS Guru starts. Like, look, we're doing the same thing over and over again. Every time we walk into these companies, it's the same things over and over again fix the back office so that the CEO can focus on the things that they need to fix, right? Because yep. in my world, CEO does not stand for chief executive officer. <laughs> All right. What is it? <laughs> it's chief excrement officer. <laughs> Because they have to deal with all the crap that nobody else can. Right? Okay, you cleaned that up very nicely. <laughs> and CFO does not stand for chief flushing officer. We are not the ones responsible for flushing all the crap out of the system. We're there for finance to make sure everything is done right. So I can, I can tell you war stories of how many executive teams just waste so much time on the back office because... It's like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. And then later is there and suddenly they've got an investor who, first of all, is going to run them through a really rigorous due diligence. And I don't know if you've ever participated in a due diligence exercise for a startup, but the later stage rounds, it's like it's exponential, right? Oh, is it? it yeah. Up, yeah. With your seed round, it's like a handshake in your deck. Okay. And yeah. that's about it. And that's and it. They, and then you get to the A round and suddenly they're starting to ask for employee contracts and customer contracts. And then you get to the, the ultimate, which we participated in. I've had the displeasure of participating in twice of due diligence from a publicly traded company to acquire a private company. You might as well just give up as a finance person your next two months of your life because you're going to be doing nothing but producing reports for the hordes of attorneys on the other side. And so it's a scale, right? Yeah. And this is another thing. You're getting into due diligence and suddenly you've got a really, you know, great investor prospect and they want to see your sales numbers and they want to see your CAC ratios and they want to see your NDRs and they want to see all these numbers and you're looking at them going, "Huh?" Yeah, 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 yeah. I right? a couple of businesses that I have owned, you know, that it it's kind of yeah, you're hitting a nerve at this point. <laughs> and that's where I come back to the financial, you know, the financial aspects of it, some are just, it really does, it does create a story if you know how to read the story, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of them just don't know how to read the story. And I've run into that because I'm obviously, I'm fractional chief revenues, chief sales, right? And when you go into the small companies, I've run into that and where it's like they tell you one thing and you're you're starting to build all of what you've been talking about on the sales revenue side and the go-to-market plan for what they're going to say and all of these things and and I can and then about a month or so into it they finally revealed the real numbers and you're like oh wait and you've just wasted two months. You just wasted two months of time. And, and then, it, and then they're looking at you like, well, shouldn't I have just known this? And it's like, okay, you give me one set of numbers and then you have the real one somewhere else. And, 
Uh, yeah, you have to make decisions based off of that. So that you just you just described it. So how are things going with your company? What excites you about the future of your company? What's what's going on with this? So two questions, kind of two sides to the same coin. So what's going on with our company right now is that we have so much interest that, you know, we're looking at having to expand. Um, oh, well, that's person. good. Um, because as you pointed out, there's a real need for this. Um, yes. And it's one of those things that I like to use the analogy of, you know, I'm, I'm Star Trek freak, you know, I'm like, you know, big science fiction guy. So I think in terms of star, uh, thinks and think in terms of science fiction movies, right? So you remember the movie, I think it was called, um, uh, Final Im no, Ar Armageddon, right? Plenty yes, Arm yeah. Mm -hmm. Plenty of movies where you've got asteroids headed towards the earth and, you know, we're all gone. Okay, so... Would you rather find that asteroid when it's at the orbit of Pluto, when you have lots of time to figure out what to do with it, yeah. or when it's crossing the orbit of the moon and it's down your throats and you're like, okay, uh, let's all just bend over and kiss our backsides goodbye, right? <laughs> yeah. So what you want to avoid is what I call these extinction level events, right? Uh -huh. And they happen in companies because they don't pay attention to that back office. Yeah. And one of them could be what you just said. Suddenly, you know, they're in the last throes of a closing around and then, you know, the, the investors find out that the numbers that you begin in them been giving them aren't real and the real numbers are here and they walk away from the table and you're out of cash because you were banking that you were going to get this round landed to keep your company going. So if you don't think that really happens, I can tell you it really happens. It really happens. It really happens. <laughs> Um, so would you rather, like I said, would you rather fix all that annoying back office stuff now or wait till later when it's going to cost you, it could cost you a round. It could cost you lots of money, right? Yeah. To clean it up. Let's yeah. say you're a well-established company and you've got, I've had this happen too. I walk into companies that are fairly well-established. Their back offices are a mess. And the reason is, is that they've, they've grown like, oh, well, we need an accounting system. Sure, that's great. Oh, well, we uh -huh. need a startup. Sure, that's great. Okay, well, we need an expense. And, and they've got all these tech and they don't talk to each other. They're not integrated. There's a lot of wasted time, you know, checking and back checking. And the poor finance people are like treated like, you know, dirt because they can't put the right numbers out. And they can't put the right numbers out because they don't have the tools to do it. Yeah. And so it's one of those areas where you either get this idea from us or you're like, eh, I'm not going to worry about that anyway. I don't care what he says. That's fine. You'll probably be looking me up in a couple, three years. And so you just put the nail on the head. A couple, three years. This is a this is a one question that I typically ask people too. Is are you how much money did you lose over those three years? Because a lot of times people mis misunderstand the price of something versus the value that that price gets. Right. So, and, and they'll go, Oh, that's too much. And it's like, yeah. So we're in budgeting anonymous. We're all in mortgages. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what I call that budgeting anonymous. <laughs> and, and so oh, and that's, you just hit on another one right there. Okay. Budgets, right. What's yeah. one of the first things that your investors are going to ask for? Is your pro formas. Yes, exactly. 
And if you give them, if you give them something that you downloaded from, you know, the web, right? And oh yeah, this is a great quote. Or my buddy, my buddy Jill had this one, and you got it from her or whatever. And it it doesn't fit into the entire back office picture that you have. You might as well be speaking Greek to them, okay? Because <laughs> you're going to be giving them something that a they're not going to understand, or b they're not going to believe. Exactly. Okay? And yeah. again, you don't want to be in a position where you're walking into a meeting with investors and you don't look 100% confident behind not only what you're doing, but what you know. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Right? What you know, a big part of what you know is what your numbers are. And if you don't know them and you think you know them, that's not a really good position. And I have, I have another you know, war story here, which is I came into a company and you know, typical startup, they're trying to do things on their own. And one of the things they were doing was tracking their ARR on a spreadsheet. Okay. Right. And I can tell you right now that tracking ARR on a spreadsheet takes a CPA to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm Anthony, <laughs> I'm Anthony and I'm a recovering CPA. Okay. <laughs> and the last thing I like to do is track ARR on a spreadsheet because it's nothing more than, you know, a pure pain in the backside. But anyway, the CEO was tracking error on a spreadsheet and he said, our, our ARR is at, I'm not going to give the real number. We'll just say it's at half a million. And I'm looking at this spreadsheet and I'm like, hmm. I said, you know what? We're going to put SAS Optics in. And SAS Optics is by far the leader in the industry for tracking ARR and, and metrics. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a very big proponent of them because I've been working with them for seven years. And um, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Right. And they had had put SAS Optics in, but nobody could get it to work. Right? Oh. So I come in, you know, I like I call up my buddy at SAS Optics and I say, hey, Clayton, we need we got to get this guy stood up. They say, here, we're going to put this person on. Let's get it done. I got it done and I tied everything out. And in the end, do you know what their ARR really was? I don't. What was it? Two thirds of what they thought it was. Oh, wow. Wow, 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 wow. So imagine you're the CEO and you have to go back to your board, <laughs> many, many of whom are investors in your company and have put their money in believing in you yes. to say, gee, oops, I'm sorry, I missed, you know, and it, it, it handled and they went through and they got through it. Okay. But that is absolutely not a position you as a founder ever want to be in, which is you're going in thinking that you have one number. And as you just pointed out, turns out it's something different. And a, a miss of a third is pretty big when it's coming to your top line. Yeah. Right? I've had to actually, I've hired sales team members based on one premise and created the comp plan for that premise in the, the strategy and everything and found out the real numbers and they didn't even have the numbers to get there, right? So then you had to redesign the whole thing. So you wasted, if you calculate hours, you wasted your, you know, your persona, you're, kinda, if you're trying to be professional, you've done all of these things and then all of a sudden it's, Okay. And then you've got people down the road. It's all mayhem. And you've got your first revenue maze block right there, you know, because you're starting all, starting all over again. So that is so fascinating. So Anthony, we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of say sort of, who are you then? Not just in SAS guru, but really who are you? Like, from little you to present day, what brought you to this point? 
So I like to joke that, you know, Michael Crichton, I'm sure you've heard of him, Jurassic Yes, Park. I'm a sci-fi geek. We, we've established that one. <laughs> so I like to joke with people that Michael Crichton and I have something very much in common. We're both medical school dropouts. <laughs> um, what do we call that? Medical MSCs. Hmm. Okay. Right. And, and, but, but clearly he made, he made the better move because he went on to write books that make him a billionaire. I, I do, I count all the billions. That's what I do. Um, so, but why, why, why raise that up? That training to be a doctor at a top medical school in the United States, yay, go U of M, even though they got obliterated by Georgia. <laughs> never gonna, but, but their football team aside, their medical school is top notch, right? That training in looking at the entire system of the person and the environment they're in has completely informed everything I've done since. Corporations, okay. corporations are no different than humans in many ways, in human bodies. I mean, the word corporation means body, right? And so yeah. the, the word is embedded. You know, we have an executive committee, like that's the brain. You have, you know, intelligence gathering, that's your eyes. You have departments, those are your organs. And getting all that to fit together and move smoothly and in, you know, in harmony is just as important in, you know, human health as it is in corporate health. And so I took that attitude with me into the marketplace. My first job was actually as a logistics and production scheduler and manufacturing expert because I took a lot of those things and I helped the company improve its product, you know, its product flows and reduce costs and things like that. From there, I moved into ERP systems, which are these massive, hugely integrated. So again, kind of really played to my strengths in terms of, oh, you've got a system that's going to do engineering and it's going to do production and it's going to do delivery and it's going to do accounting and all this other stuff. How do you get everybody to sit down together and actually figure out how this is all going to work? And then from there, I moved actually as a controller to a Japanese manufacturing company. And this was the first time that I scaled a company and added a zero to revenue in three years. Oh, we, took wow. that we took that company from five to 50 million in three years. And, we, and I, was in charge of, you know, I was in charge of the entire back office and I managed to scale it in such a way that the three people I had when we were at five million were the same three people we had at 50 million. We didn't need to add a single headcount to the back office because I, this, I was allowed to automate and put all of those integrations together from basically scratch. In other words, we, we moved into a clean building and it was like, okay, everything with an electron that doesn't run a production machine, you're in charge of it, Anthony. I was like, okay. Yay. <laughs> right. So having all that background in training and I became a Six Sigma black belt, you know, as part of that because the Japanese have a very different view. So I learned at the feet of the true masters of efficiency and it's the Japanese, right? Because okay. they were using it to kick the living daylights out of the American automotive industry and being from Michigan, gee, guess what industry is most prevalent in this state, right? Yeah. That really formed my background a lot. And then I realized, you know, you know, these accountants are having lots of fun, but finance people get to have way more fun. So I made the move from accounting into finance and that's, you know, ever since I've been providing these fractional, you know, services and these various services to, you know, a whole range of companies. I've been doing this for like 15, 20 years now. And yeah. software as a service, the SaaS, as a subscription has kind of like been the last seven years of that. And so I've, taken, I've taken all of that experience and said, look, you can put together a state-of-the-art, and this gets back to your question, what excites me? You can put together a state-of-the-art back office as long as you have a clear master plan, which we do because we've learned how to put it together. 
And that way you are not bothered and distracted or devalued or otherwise set up for an extinction level event for anything that could happen in the back office. Okay. Yeah. And what excites me is the role of AI. Okay. Right? Yeah. So yeah. when we think about, you know, machine learning and machine intelligence and art, you know, call it what you want, you know, yeah. elect electrons doing the thinking for us, you know, just in what I'm doing right now today, compared to even three or four years ago, the level of automation tools that are at my disposal to make this back office hum are way different. Yes. Okay? yes they and they're improving all the time. And one of the strategies that we have going forward is as we grow our team <clears throat> is looking at to develop some of those tools on our own because we you know, yeah. this is coming. So this it is, is. My, this is coming. <laughs> do I want to be riding the wave or do I want to be drowned by the wave? Okay, so I'd rather be the one riding on the wave with the surfboard. Not that I've ever surfed. I can't. The idea just spooks me to death, but um, just the, the analogy is good enough. Yeah. Um, so that that's what really excites me about the future. And the other thing that really excites me about the future, and this is from the sales side of things. Okay, so we can AI on the finance, but AI on the sales side of things, yeah. helping you figure out tools that can actually help you figure out some of those questions we started the, the top of the hour with. Yeah. Where most importantly, where does your target market water? What are the watering holes? I love using that analogy. What are the watering holes that everybody in your target market has to go to over and over again or make sure as they go to over over again? There are so many new ways to communicate. You've got Facebook, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Slack, you've got Twitter, you've got all these, you know, things and who knows what else is coming, right? You know, yep. I know Facebook has this whole metaverse thing, you know, that they have. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what that means. Sounds cool. It sounds uh, cool. I, I've, read, I've, I've, I've seen that in science fiction many times, but I'm sure that's not what he's thinking about. But the point is that you have a constantly this churn of watering holes is what I call yeah. it, where yeah. your target clients are going to be, you know, consuming where you could potentially reach them. Yeah. That to me is between what AI can do to help us get better at what we do and the expansion of the entire internet and social media and call it internet three or whatever it is, those two things, you know, we're sitting here today as adults and, you know, I have, I have a five-year-old at home and a 10-year-old at home. And I think, man, when I was five and 10, the phones went around and around. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> and they were wired to the wall and online gaming was me and my buddy Mike sitting on the phone, each with a chessboard in front of us at our homes playing, you know, tying up the phone lines. That was that was our online gaming. Right. And yeah, now look at it. Right. You know, I can, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, need to go I hear that. you. <laughs> now think what, you know, and I'm not going to say what that time span is because then I'd be lying about my age, but how long from then to, let's say, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 10 years from now, what does that look like? It changes all the time. And to me, I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's crazy. I'm really scared. And I'm like, no, it's coming. You it's know, coming. It, and when you say that, because I, I, I'm a Trekkie geek. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. And... I, you know, Blade Runner, Runner and its wearables, we saw this, right, a long time ago, and Star Trek, and it, it was funny because I, I did a presentation that was from, I called it So Long Palm, which dates me, and, <laughs> um, and I went through, you know, just basically all the technology back then in that presentation, 
that is now in existence today, food replicators, all of the, some of the things, right. And, Mm -hmm. and people are still going, their eyes are going up like what? And, and it's like, we already have wearables, our capacity to be able to do the machines have surpassed us. I use my calendar to remind me and tell me who I'm talking with or what, you know, Mm -hmm. at times. Right. And so when we, it is, it isn't a stretch. I mean, I don't want to go down a big science fiction and whatever, but machine learning and AI, you know, is definitely there and people are going to have to realize because they're going to use that and beat out their competitors with that information, right? Where's the watering hole? I love your analogy where don't work smarter, not harder with that mm-hmm. part of it. Although I'm a workaholic as well, but you know, one of those things, but let's talk a little bit about, I know that the people here are also interested in what outside of work, what do you do for fun? Just <laughs> what do you do for fun, Anthony? So I'm a, I call myself a cyclopath because okay. I, I bicycle like a maniac. Um, <laughs> I love bicycling, uh, trail riding, road riding. It really doesn't matter. As long as it's two wheels and I can pedal it, I'm happy. Uh-huh. Um, it gives me a lot of time to think, right? Uh-huh. And it also blows off a lot of steam. Um, I am a certified yoga instructor. I used to teach until COVID came along and pretty much unfortunately destroyed our studio because nobody was coming in person anymore. Um, and the online is just, I'll just tell you, it's not the same. No, I know. I've got a mirror behind me. And the other thing, obviously, is science fiction crazy. I mean, I've lost track of how many science fiction books and movies I've read. I just love that. I've always loved it. Um, But I'm also, I love learning, believe it or not, foreign languages. Oh, really? Oh, that's exciting. So I... How many do you speak? um, I'm up to, I'm learning my sixth one right now. It's Greek. Wow. And yes, you talked about Greek. My best friend growing up in high school, they're, they're Greek. So yeah, you talked about I'm half Greek. My, I call mm-hmm. myself Anthony to half Greek. Um, <laughs> my father was an immigrant. He was from the old country. And so I'm looking at finally being able to take my family back there um, this summer um, because they're, you know, young kids. And, you know, in our family, we, we use a lot of Greek names. Our cats are Zeus and Hermes. You know, we're, we're you yeah. know, very much into that yeah. culture. Um, but I also find that it's such a fascinating door to open in terms of a culture. Yeah. Because yeah. the culture of a language is so readily embedded in their language. You can really read and understand a lot about a culture. So, um, yeah. but yeah, most of the time I spend like you working on, you know, client stuff or expanding the business. So I, it's a, it's a seven day a week job, but I don't look upon it as a job. It's fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going in there solving problems. It's it's easy for me to demonstrate where the problem lies and how to fix it. And so I get a lot of satisfaction out of, you know, clients that are like, wow, I didn't realize it could be so easy. It's like, well, okay, you know, it took it took 20 or 30 years to learn all this. It's not like it's that easy, but it's easy once it's in place and it's put together. And so that really gives me a lot of, you know, satisfaction. It's what gets me up in the morning. It's like, okay, what problem do I get to solve today? Knowing yeah. that I can solve it. Yeah. yeah. Knowing that I can solve it. Well, that's, that's awesome. So yeah, I love that. I sing in all, quite a few languages because I sing opera, but I have no idea other than the synopsis is what exactly I'm saying. So I always appreciate it when people 
have that, what I call that talent and passion for languages. I have a nephew that picks them up like crazy. And I just wish, I had wished in the American school systems that we, they had required that, like, cause I've lived internationally and they require different languages, you know, and that, that is just way cool. So Anthony, I feel like my brain is on overload. I'm going to have to rewatch this over and over and over again to, to get all the nuances. But um, if you were to give, if your older, wiser self were to give your younger, wiser self advice, what would that one piece of advice be? Pay attention to the computer revolution. I joined it late. I'm fully embracing it right now, but there were things that if I had started even 10 years earlier than I did would put us way ahead of the curve. But the whole idea of automation, the whole idea of machines doing our thinking and, and stuff for us and a lot of the rote stuff for us. I mean, we don't realize just sometimes those of us, especially been around for a while, just how much we a take it for granted, but B how much our personal lives have been revolutionized just from, you know, think about, what it was like when you were five, what was the state of technology then, and think about where you are today, and the massive gulf of change that has occurred. And it's just continuing to accelerate. You know, there's no end in sight. Yeah, that's, that is, that is so true. So we're kind of hitting the top of our time. So I want to thank you so much Anthony, the SAS guru for coming to my uh, my revenue maze today. And to everybody who's been listening, thanks for listening to the revenue maze. Um, we always want to be moving on that upward trajectory, avoiding the roadblocks and uncovering things that companies that might not have thought of on this show. And if you really like this, like it, share it, do all those wonderful things. And Anthony, where can they find you the easiest way to find me is go to our website sas-gurus.com and go to the contact us page that's just by far if you remember sas gurus you should be able to find us there's a dash in between just remember that right from there you can handle it if you want to email me directly it's just as easy anthony at sas-gurus.com you know i make it i don't make it hard for people to find me and if both of those turn you off go to linkedin i i haunt it all the time i'm there a lot um, i have a live link on it on my my browser all the time in case somebody wants to reach out to me so any any one of those three go to sas-gurus.com on the web Contact us there, anthony at sas-gurus.com or find me on LinkedIn under my name. Perfect. All right. Well, there you have it. Thank you again, Anthony. And thanks for everybody joining the Revenue Maze. And we'll see you all next time. And thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. And never forget, you are why. 